the satanic essence of evil wreaks violent and revolting revenge. He was Captain Kronos, vampire hunter. To the death. What is human, sir? Oh, your blood heart. Oh, God, I prayed I'd never see that one. Yes, you bleed, my lord. That's what they call the devil's skin. Witchcraft is dead and discredited. It is commonly supposed that a vampire attacks in only one way, by biting the neck and draining the victim of blood. The girls you spoke of, they were not trained of blood, but of youth, of life itself. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Sleezoids, the podcast where we go down the rabbit hole of 20th century genre fare from the most influential canon classics to the trashiest exploitation films we can get our hands on and invite you to tag along in helping us create a canon of sleaze. Each week is a double feature grindhouse style where we discuss two films loosely related by subject, genre, actor, filmmaker, or franchise. And at the end of each episode, along with our honorary Sleezoids, which you can become by subscribing on Patreon, we decide on the official ratings and rankings for every film that we cover. Patreon subscribers also get an on-air shout-out in two bonus episodes every single month, which we've been doing for a few months now. So, so there's a if you haven't made the jump yet, <laughs> there's a huge back catalog of episodes just waiting for you back there. Um, uh, I'm your host, Josh Lewis. I'm going to start trying to do this because I, do, I, literally, introduce I literally haven't done it for like <laughs> yeah, months. And I mean, you probably know handles. it's fine, but I'm Josh Lewis. And joining me, as always, is my co-host. Jamie Miller. How you doing? Yep. Welcome uh, back. Uh, speaking of on our shoutouts, we do have one patron who we forgot him for two recordings in a row, but Bob Biggs, he's joined us. What's his name? Bob Biggs. That's an amazing name. Yeah, he's been watching. <laughs> he, he's been listening for a little while, but he finally made the jump not that long ago, and he's getting Sweet. all those bonus episodes right well, now. Thank you. Um, so thanks for joining us, Bob. Uh, iTunes listeners, you're out there. Rate us. Review. Give us a review. That's it. We'd appreciate it. All right. Help us climb Noted. those ranks. Thanks, thank, thanks so much. Uh, <laughs> those are your plugs for the week for the free listeners because we don't give any plugs to the the bonus people. Yeah, uh, you but want those 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 are the plugs. Uh, I think the last time you guys would have heard from us would have been two weeks ago, free listeners, uh, where we would have had Leslie Lee of the Struggle Session podcast mm. on, and we were talking Kill Bill Volume Two. Yep, and finishing I, off the series. Yes, we did a sequel to our Kill Bill Volume 1 and Female Prisoner number 701 episode that we did really early on in the show. I think it was like episode 3. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it, it was a long time ago now, earlier in the year. So we did a follow-up where we talked Kill Bill 2 and Lady Snowblood, uh, the uh, other uh, Meiko Kaji uh, Japanese 70s exploitation flick that she she made, and she's incredible in both of them. Yeah. Uh, either way, if you haven't listened in, if you haven't listened to that episode yet, or even the first Kill Bill one, go back check them out. They're there. They're available for free. Um, we went ham on those ones. Yeah, too. we went. We Kill went pretty Bill, long. I think we went like 50 we went, minutes. We, we went pretty long. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, but last week, patrons this would have been when you guys heard from us uh, to celebrate the release of a new Mission Impossible movie. Uh, which we haven't seen yet because well, we've we heard good things. because we record this episode early. Just <laughs> yeah. assume that I have a take on the Mission Impossible movie and it's online somewhere. You can find it right now. <laughs> yeah. I probably loved it. Maybe I hated it. It's out there. Yeah. Um, time, by the time this is up, then it will be. You will know the take by the time this is up. But as of right now, I haven't seen it. Uh, but last week for patrons, we did talk Brian De Palma's original Mission Impossible film alongside John Woo's Mission Impossible. Two, um, two, two, two of the films. A lot of time that I feel now, 
back when we recorded, I felt like they were getting a little under-discussed mm-hmm. um, yeah. when it came to the Mission Impossible franchise. People seem to think that John Woo one is the worst one. But I'm like, dogs, nah. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I love I both those filmmakers too much to not. And, and they, those, both those filmmakers exert so much of their own style and control over the franchise in their entries before, uh, you know, Tom, Tom Cruise's uh, more producer heavy kind of his hands on thing has has thing. come in which i do like too but it's just it's very different if you go back and watch the palmas or john woo's and yeah. you watch rogue nation you were like so is different. this the same franchise yeah for um, real other than the fact that tom cruise the tones is in are, are all over the place with these movies but they somehow still find a way to make them cohesive which is which is nice and rare yeah, i find it's neat yeah it's neat either way <laughs> if you guys want that episode it's over on the patreon we talked about it last week uh but this week we brought another special guest on for you guys um, and his name is Scout Tafoya. Scout, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Oh, of course. No problem. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Scout is a film critic and an uh, excellent video essayist with his series The Unloved that he does uh, on his Patreon, and sometimes you might see it on RogerEbert.com, where he talks about all kinds of forgotten and misbegotten cinema. It's one of my favorite video essay series uh, currently out there that you can find. Uh, he loves sometimes talking about trash and things that uh, weren't appreciated uh, as much as they should be. Which so is perfect. For uh, this if show. you yeah, if you like this show, you'll this probably enjoy his video essays. So make sure uh, when you finish listening to this, you go and check those out. Yeah. But Scout, you've brought two films along with you this week, and uh, of of <laughs> uh, th- there's been a couple episodes where people have brought on films that I haven't seen before, but these ones I literally hadn't even heard of. <laughs> yeah. so, yes. Uh, yes. Uh, so would you care to introduce <laughs> the uh, pair that you've brought with you? Friends, I have brought <laughs> with me two of my favorite English folk horror classics. I brought Captain Kronos, Vampire Hunter, and The Blood on Satan's Claw. Uh, these were films that I knew of sort of by reputation before I had ever seen them. The Blood on Satan's Claw was a film that I read about in a handful of blogs like 10, 15 years ago when I was first discovering both the internet and the uh, vast knowledge of weirdo horror from before I was born. Um, When I read the description of both of them, I knew that I had to find them as quickly as possible because there were premises that I could not pass up. One of them is about a village slowly after the discovery of a piece of fur and bone on the edge of a village, and the other one was about a German mercenary hunting vampires with a sword in... (laughs) Yeah, I'll be honest, reading that description got me pretty fast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. I mean, you know, on premise alone, these films are 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 trash legends to me. But uh, they are also both pretty excellent movies in their own right. So uh, it's a win-win. Cool. Well, I think we're just going to jump into it. Usually we do the most popular or the more well-known one first. And doing a little bit of cursory research on this, I found out that technically Blood on Satan's Claw is going to get the edge there. Uh, more people had actually logged that that I had seen. Which I'm surprised uh, really? by. Yeah. I, was, I was a little surprised by it too, but when I when I looked it up, that was what it, uh, that was what it said. Now, not by much. I think it was yeah. like... 2,000 people on Letterboxd had logged uh, 
uh, <laughs> uh, blood on Satan's claw and like 1,000 for Captain oh, geez, Cronus. 1,000, oh my god. <laughs> well, uh, which was amazing. surprising when I found out that Captain Cronus was technically a uh, Hammer horror film, which was actually yeah, like, like a well-known production company uh, that made horror films. I feel like we're in an exclusive club now. This is kind of Here awesome. we go. <laughs> there weren't a lot yeah. of people reviewing them, so anyway. Well, I, when, we get I, to, when we get to Captain Cronus, we can talk about Hammer's legacy in the 70s and, oh, and the fact that I really want to make a, uh, a sequel to Captain Cronus. <laughs> somebody yes. would give me if somebody would give me ten million dollars, I would make Captain Cronus rides again. Like, <laughs> I, I heard that they tried everything. to make it yeah. a franchise. So, oh man, yeah. I would have killed for a detective it, vampire. It was supposed to, that was they hired Brian Clemens, who was the creator of, or, or at least one of the most prolific writers on the Avengers, the Avengers, the TV show. So yeah, they turned to, to Brian Clemens, who was a, an Avengers guy, and they said, "Give us a franchise like the Avengers, but for horror." And he dreamt up Captain Cronus for them. And uh, it really should have been more popular than it was. Uh, some people blame Horst Janssen, the lead, for its uh, lackluster box office performance. Um, which I don't is know, he's pretty that. hunky. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's, he looks good on a poster, I'm sure. <laughs> yes, yes. It was great with him holding the sword like that. Yeah. It, was, it was wonderful. Totally I don't know, uh, British audiences, they drive me crazy. They said no to basically everything that Hammer did in the 70s. And for that, I just don't know. I just don't know because there's so many great Brits. things. <laughs> Uh, anyway, we can we can get into that later. Oh Please. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sure. uh, but yeah, I guess we'll do it. We'll just jump right into the blood on Satan's claw. Oh yeah, <laughs> so metal. <laughs> it's a very metal movie. I think that I could be saved. These dogs know how to tear the devil's heel. <laughs> Telltale bitch, thou set the dogs on me. Of course I didn't. Art thou ready to give thy skin tonight? Art thou ready? Blood on Satan's claw. All right. Well, we are talking the blood on Satan's claw. The uh, 1971 British folk horror film made by uh, Tygon British Film Productions. Tygon Studios, that's right. That's the Tygon, one. And directed Tygon by Piers Haggard. Yeah, Tygon and Amicus were the only credible competition that Hammer Films were offered in the uh, late 60s, early 70s. Tygon really didn't hang around all that much. I think they made a couple of movies and basically went under. Amicus put up a stronger showing for themselves because they had the omnibus movies, which audiences loved. They did Tales from the Crypt uh. and Asylum and a handful of other things. Tygon's biggest claim to fame, I think, ultimately is The Blood on Satan's Claw, no, which is a dubious no, claim. No. Witchfinder General. Witchfinder General. Did they do Witchfinder General? They did. I just I just clicked on their thing, and apparently they did do Witchfinder General, which oh, I go. which I was it was it's another sort of seventeenth eighteenth century uh, British sort of folk. This one's a lot more folk than Witchfinder. Mm, yeah, but. <laughs> I really well, it's, loved it's, Witchfinder. <laughs> it's essentially it's 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 not folk horror so much as it's folk superstition. It's mm, it's that's, uh, that's it's a good price way to say, say. able to capitalize on the fear that everybody in England has for witchcraft and witchery and devilry. Um, yeah, what drove in them order- in the seventies to want to really reckon with that history? <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it's. Uh, 
I, I, I don't know. It's, it, it's interesting that essentially in the seventies there was, I don't know, there's, there's obviously Nixon, which is a huge thing, but it's also like, I don't know. I don't know what was going on politically in Britain that uh, made the witch movie as popular as it was, but there was quite a bit of it. I mean, from basically from 1964 until 1976, there was all this fascination with devil worship and the occult in English horror films. Michael Reeves, who directed Witchfinder General, also made The Sorcerers, which is one of the great films about sort of modern uh, witchcraft and devil. Oh, interesting. I haven't seen that one. You have to check that one out. Because uh, I watched, we watched Blood on Satan's Claw, and Blood on Satan's Claw is interesting because in direct opposition to Witchfinder General, it uh, makes the supernatural a lot more overt than Witchfinder General does, because Witchfinder General um, is specifically, it kind of, takes all of the occult and actual supernatural Satanism out of it. And it, mm-hmm. it it just shows you sort of a world where people are using people's fears and superstitions to abuse them and to sort yes. of uh, heighten their own ranks on people. So it's a dude going crazy with power as the dude hunting witches and just basically calling everyone he doesn't like a witch and oh, burning it, them. Um, it's, and it has it's interesting a- how much... Um, the, 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 there are two different leaps in logic required for both uh, uh, films. That in, in in Blood on Satan's Claw, you have to sort of take evil at face value, which is fascinating because very few films ask you to do that without getting into the weird uh, in between of uh, representation being the same thing as like you know condoning what is happening. This is obviously a pre a pre woke era kind of movie where. They don't ask you to think that witchcraft is real. What they ask you to do is imagine what would have happened if the devil had actually come back in the 17th century. Whereas Witchfinder General, I think a little ahead of its time, in imagining that people who have authority over, you know, the sort of uh, forces of nature and evil um, and get to things whatever they want them to be, you know, those guys do exert power and control over everybody else. Or at least, you know, they can if they abuse the uh, authority they've been given. Witchfighter General is is a little more prescient and also probably a little more timeless than Blood on Satan's Claw in that way because it shows what you do, you know, if you're a crazy person given a little bit of power, you can get away with anything. <laughs> Yeah, what what it kind of asks is why are you afraid of Satan when uh, right, people exactly. are going to do basically things just as apocalyptic and brutal as Satan would if he was here. <laughs> uh, whereas That's Blood exactly on Satan's right. Claw, which we'll kind of jump into, is what if um, you know uh, Satan what if it was all wanted real, to yeah. take uh, physical form in your village. Uh, and I, from what I understand, this was meant to be sort of like three short stories right, that yeah. were end up sort of put together. Oh, and you, okay. yeah, the, the screenwriting credit sort of hints that it was a couple of ideas sort of stitched together. And you can tell because the film very clearly, you know, uh, segments itself. Yeah, um, that's and that's one of the, the more interesting elements of it, because I think, honestly, for me, the most interesting character in the movie kind of disappears for like 40 oh, yeah. minutes of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's uh, it's pretty fascinating. It's um, but it kind of opens right with a, a, a local field worker finding uh, unearthing yeah. a body. Barry a hairy Barry body. Andrews, Barry Andrews, looking looking for all the world like Roger Daltrey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everybody points this out. He was in a couple of Hammer movies too. He was in a Hammer Dracula um, and a handful of other things. And he 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 was the actor who looked most like Roger Daltrey from The Who. Um, so he's, he plays Ralph Gower. He's tilling a field. Um, and this is a film also, by the way, that that gets the details of English pastoral life in the era of witchcraft and the English civil war, like Mm. very, very well, like 
spot on. All the language is very, very precise. Mm. You know, lots of vows. Um, <laughs> it's a it's a terrific period piece, regardless of what it you know its treatment of the occult. It's it, it gets details of English life, mm. uh, you know, before Cromwell. Pretty pretty spot on. In the fields, and he finds a piece of bone with a still moist eyeball inside of it. And it freaks him out so bad he goes to uh, find the local visiting judge who's come to basically hit up an old uh, girlfriend of his Mm -hmm. for shelter for the night. And they go up there and they can't find it. The thing has disappeared because that's the sort of devilish logic that, uh, you know, it'll it'll make itself known to people who are filled with superstition, but uh, uh, not to anybody who could credibly do anything about the threat presented by the devil. And yeah, then, so like that was what's kind of interesting is it immediately sort of sets the judge up as the more uh, skeptical, the more pragmatic mm-hmm. person sort of there. Right. Um, yeah, well, the, the, the interesting thing is you expect Patrick Weimark's judge character to sort of be the villain in a kind of Vincent Price as Matthew Hopkins in Witchfinder General sort of way, but he sort of wends his way into being the hero of the piece, which is very mm-hmm. unexpected. Yeah, that, that uh, was, it is an interesting turn, which is why I find his arc really interesting when he comes back in the third act of the movie. I was the yeah, most, the, most the invested in The dirty of witch finders. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, because as as they sort of, you know, there, there's, there's weird things happening in the village now that this body has been unearthed, where Satan is around and trying to take physical form and sort of manipulating the kids. Yeah. Kids these yes. days is kind of the tone that it takes a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and ironically, yeah. one named kids, Angel. Kids, man, they're into yeah, Satan. Angel. They just love them. Right, they dude. love Satan. Okay, <laughs> yep. like, come on. What are you going to do about it? The kids love Satan. It's like a, it's like a pre, it's like a like a like a perfect pre-Columbine movie in a way. Then <laughs> in their seventeenth-century metal music, you know. Yep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. Just ripping oh on God. the loom. Yeah. Did you, guys, did you guys not love the score? That great jaunty sort of like flute and xylophone score oh, yeah. it was one but of my I, favorite parts yeah actually. i think uh one part that stood out to me specifically was when uh, uh peter is is about to open the attic door there's these like really sporadic flutes that are going yes on. Like, yes like it's kind of <laughs> it's it's almost it's quirky but it's still creepy enough to set the tone and it's mm-hmm. very very odd in a way but there's it, it some, there, well. there's something there there's something mm-hmm. off kilter going on here yeah for is sure <laughs> I think, and I think that's the the Tony was going for something where mm-hmm. you're you're st- you're intrigued and you're curious, but you're yeah. also kind of hesitant. You don't really know what's to come. So yeah, it was it's a really well done score. Mm-hmm. There, there's there's something fiendish and unnatural lurking yeah. yes. around the corner for sure. <laughs> well, it, it, it's this awesome thing where they give you the idea that Satan has a bizarre sense of humor because the thing that. You know, the, uh, time and again in the movie, somebody will see something that doesn't look right, and your like eyes don't have enough chance to sort of register what they're being shown. And then a couple of scenes later, that person will be presented with that same idea. But it, it you know, like um, I'm, I'm thinking specifically when you know the young master sees his girlfriend carted off to the madhouse, and she's got the claw for a hand, and then that same claw attacks him, and he hacks it off, and it's his own hand. There's this. Yeah, that's a brutal this, scene. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty gnarly and very metal. It's it's uh, <laughs> it's it. it, it I, I love it because it, it hints that the devil has a sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love the idea that you know you're at the mercy of someone who will torment you yes but in a way that is a very specific 
ironically to you know who you are as a person and who you have most recently shown yourself to be morally. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, yeah. The bit where he is hacking at the the furry hand, and I was yes. like, "Oh, dude, no, that's that's your hand, man." Yeah, and then yeah, yeah that was that. <laughs> had that vibe. For and sure. then when they they come into the room to check up on him, because obviously they hear some some sawing and chopping sounds from the bedroom <laughs> and a dude screaming. Yeah. They're like, "Hmm, something's afoot." Yeah. Yeah, it's really, so Angel is the the girl who gets possessed, and that was the bride to be in the opening sequence, right? No, 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 no. no. It's not? The bride to be is Tamara Ustinov, Peter Ustinov's yes. daughter, I want to say. Um, but uh, no, Angel is played by Linda Hayden, who was sort of a uh, cause. She was sort of like the, gosh, how do I like? She was the the Miley Cyrus of British cinema. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Fair she enough. was. She Seems was sort like of, an appropriate she, role. <laughs> she and her husband were sort of. They were famous for being this uh, bunch of of, of famous, uh, famously exposed people. Um, and uh, she, you know, had a had a short career as the gal that like British audiences would go to watch take her clothes off at the cinema, um, which is not totally fair to her talent. She was an incredibly talented actress. I mean, you can see just in the scenes, even before they paint the weird eyelashes on her, like <laughs> her scenes where she has to, um, you know, kind of convince, con- I think she does a very good job at that. She like the scenes at the funeral when, uh, what's her name? Kathy looks behind her and sees Angel Blake spying on her, just the intensity of her eyes. Or when she's trying to uh, seduce the Reverend Fallowfield, there's, there's, that's know, a great just, scene. Yeah, yeah. I, I love the the moment where the reverend is very clearly, you know, she's a beautiful girl. He's looking at her, mm-hmm. and at the same time, he's immediately ashamed. Like one yeah, second I, later, he was just like, and he's so mad that she's like done this to him. Basically, yeah, made him feel <laughs> yeah. this way. Yeah. yeah, he can't like he can't just do the, the the normal thing, which is to like immediately send her on her way. He has yeah. to like like think about it. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Be like, oh Christ, do I want to do this? What day is it? Is it Wednesday? Maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> has a real, a real come to Jesus moment when Angel takes her clothes off in front of him. But that's the beauty of the movie. I think ultimately mm. is that it, it presents these, these, this, this enormous smattering of moral conundrums for people who are used to being above them. You've got this guy, the priest, who you know sort of imagines that he has it all figured out, and then the minute the devil actually comes to town, he, he kind of isn't ready for it. Um, well, it's it's the same thing when Angel sort of starts, um, getting a crowd of kids involved in these ceremonies, Mm -hmm. uh, where they're, I, now I'm not sure I completely followed exactly what they were trying to do, but I know that they were trying to create a physical form for Satan, but I wasn't sure if they were trying to do it by latching onto people's bodies and having him in there, or if they were just trying yeah. to take parts of it. Well, the, the best I figure is that <laughs> Satan comes to town and decides who are his servants and who are his vessels in a way. The people who are sort of the most innocent are the ones that he'll latch onto and give the furry skin to. Mm-hmm. And angel is the one in the community who can tell the difference between, you know, the people who are ready and the people who are uh, uh, more easily taken advantage of. And so, you know, the, the, the people who, who won't join the cult are the ones who get the, 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 the hairy skin. Uh, <laughs> and they have to cut the hairy skin of off of the non-believers in order to attribute it to their satanic master as he builds himself up. 
I, I get the feeling that Stephen King must have seen this movie because he steals little bits of this in a lot of his different stories. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's that's the best I can figure. That's how it goes. They take the hair and then they're gonna they're gonna they got their building block. Yeah. For As Satan. for the the they're vessel thing, back. there is a one. There's one scene and it's when uh, you know they have the group all together of basically all the the teenagers or the kids or however old they seem to be. I, I was kind of unsure. They seem to range, but. Um, it's uh, there's it's the scene where the girl is getting raped by the guy, mm-hmm. and at first I thought this was going to become like a, you know, he's this is the ceremony so that the devil can be born for real or mm-hmm. something like that. Be, be, but it ends up just being they just a rape her. scene and a stab scene, and I was a little con- confused. Well, because by that. I think I think that they were. They, so I was expecting the vessel thing. Well, know? because then, yeah, that's what I thought too. But then yeah. I but then they cut the hair off, right? Because that's what they were actually okay. aiming for. Right. They, they were they were they were trying yeah. to get the. They were trying sacrificial knife. Yeah, so they would they need I guess they needed multiple vessels so that they could get little chunks each time out oh, of Oh, right, cuz it's in different body places, right? Like Yeah, so cuz they got they, they got the hand off the guy cuz he cut it off himself. Right. And then they got a leg and then they got uh <laughs> they got in the end they're trying to get something off of the 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 main villager dude because mm-hmm. um, he's sort of the the last guy who has hair growing out of him. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. Ra- uh, uh, Gower. That's uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Ralph Gower played by yes. Barry Andrews, Robert, Dal- Roger Daltrey. Um, and, and while, while the kids are kind of, you know, trying to build up Satan and kind of amassing a bigger and bigger cult as they go along, obviously a lot of the villagers and the parents are getting a little worried, but they, they can't really act well, or they can't, they can't, (laughs) they don't really have much of a response to Satan coming to town. They didn't work out, they didn't work out, you know, safety precautions or anything for that. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. They never sat their kids down. Someday Satan might come. (laughs) Yeah. So the judge is off. Uh, for the entire second act of the film, right. um, off reading about Satan, so he can figure out how to kill him. Yeah. In in and honestly, I kind of wished that we got uh, a little bit of like a you know like when Gandalf goes to like yes. go read about Sauron kind of deal. Like I, was I, just I wanted, yeah, I wanted back. Is it secret? Is it safe? <laughs> exactly. Like I, I wanted, <laughs> I, I wanted a little bit of finding out what he learned and what he yeah. and, and what and what he was doing over there because i think they the well main- there's 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 clearly something missing and i don't know who to attribute this to but essentially there is something missing between the judge coming back to town and them attacking the devil with that sword because the sword shows up and suddenly it's a thing but they don't actually figure out mm-hmm. what the you know i i i think it's a more interestingly written film than it is a thoroughly directed film yeah uh, that sounds right to me. <laughs> yeah. I, I think there's some stuff missing, and I think among them is the is the what did the judge you know what conclusions did the judge come to while he was away reading the the book on the occult? Well, because that's what's kind of interesting is because as we sort of get into the third act and we talk about the climax a little bit, which is a big sort of cult ceremony where they have officially brought Satan back, and all the kids are are there, and all the adults are kind of coming in around them to yeah. you know put put a you know a stop to this. Uh, and the the judge at this point has come back with all of his learned info on how to take down uh, Satan. Uh, and at the at that exact moment, they are trying to sacrifice uh, the uh, the young villager kid, basically, yeah. um, who's got the last piece of hair on him that Satan needs. He needs that hair. <laughs> uh, but 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 in this moment, I thought was actually the film ending was one of the strongest parts of the film for me. Uh, I loved the bit where, where it kind of just answered it and then 
took it away. That well, kind of well, that it's was like, just kind of, over. Like they were, they were, you know, that we've clearly built up that this is it. Satan is going to be reborn. All of you know the work that the kids have put in is for this moment right mm-hmm. here. And the judge comes in with all of his learned info, and he takes his sword, and he just sort of like maniacally skewers the shit out of Satan. And yep, that's just right. it. Even he throws him, uh, throws him in, a, in a fire. Yeah, yeah he, he picks him up, he throws him in the fire, and the final shot of the movie is just his, like, determined, satisfied face in literally in flames <laughs> yeah. at having just killed Satan. And I think that that's such an interesting arc, too. In the first act of this film, you see this very sort of like, oh, witches don't exist you dolt like witchcraft is dead and discredited he really thinks everyone's an idiot (laughs) yeah Yeah. and he's he's just he's very clearly a non-believer he's very clearly a you know a a pragmatic judge uh and this movie ends with him literally skewering satan in like a maniacal like finale with pure satisfaction Uh, yeah and and honestly i was (laughs) i was really impressed by the ending although i did think that they had they had one cut to the kids hair thing being gone and they were like oh it's gone and i was like oh all right well this is a little pretty easy solve it's pretty (laughs) it's like the sort of like take the the mothership down kind of thing (laughs) it's all gone i I thought satan would have a little bit firmer claws than that you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) films sort of narrative uh uh, inconclusivities can probably be chalked up to budgetary problems yeah all things considered yeah but i think that that's sort of why the film you know in in endures after you know after all is said and done is because the weirdness permeates beyond mm. anything else you know whatever else is true of the movie it is one of the strangest films to get made you know with i mean clearly like a fair amount of money was spent on this thing the costumes and the and the the swords and props and all the you know there's there's a there's a lot that they sunk a lot of resources into here but uh, it 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 remains one of the oddest movies ever produced oh yeah for sure yeah it was definitely definitely a, i i did not anticipate where this movie went that was for sure as as yeah. it was unfolding oh same same <laughs> i remember it was, this was a film i read about when i was very young and then i think i found it on ebay <laughs> And, uh, and we, we ordered the VHS tape, me and my dad, when I was very young. And it came to the door, and there was very, it was almost like, it was basically unmarked. So we watched this unmarked VHS tape, and I bought <laughs> eBay. And <laughs> this sounds like the beginning of The Ring. This is The Ring, right? This yeah, is- yeah. <laughs> this is the beginning of The Ring. Because then you watch it, and you're just like, where the shit is this going? This is nuts. I've never seen anything like this. And it just keeps getting weirder and weirder and weirder. And I was just, I was so grateful that, that a film like this exists. And I well, wish and, and, and it is interesting because it is, it is, it does sort of that also the fact that it's not clear necessarily about all of the things that people discover and yes. the fact that it is so sort of like shaved down does yes. result in that weirdness effect where you're kind of like, I think I understand what's happening. Yeah, they, they, yeah, they give you just enough to fill in some blanks, but then there, there's, yeah, there, at, there's stuff to be ending, left for the imagination. The ending has no, you know, conclusive. I mean, you know, the fact that it, like, when he pulls the sword out, and then you see that uh, freeze frame on the assembled crowd, and then everything that afterwards has this weird slow mo quality, yeah. kind of like you're watching somebody else's nightmare. That's what's so great. Yeah, that it feels <laughs> yeah. very inconclusive. You know, the things that it's showing you, and whether or not it's a dream or it's somebody's interpretation of what happened, and it's also it also feels like the adaptation of an arcane text. Mm. Um, and I just, yeah, every, every mm. weird 
you know, kind of the unresolved corner of this is unendingly fascinating to me. <laughs> I love I love a film that that behaves by no normal, uh, you know, Western dramatic rules. It, it, it's uh, it's very much out there on its own. Totally. Well, I think we're going to enter the reductive rating round on this one. So, Scout, for you, the reductive rating round is the part of the show where we take away all the words, take away all the nuance, and for bookkeeping purposes on our <laughs> on our ongoing list, we, we, we give the film a rating out of one in five. Um, and uh, for me, I'll go first here. For me, it is a very high three. I was close to the four on it, uh, but for me... Having, uh, I actually just watched Witchfinder General for the first time, like shortly before watching this one. Sure. Uh, and I also actually, for the for completely uh, unrelated reasons, also just watched The Wicker Man for the first time, the uh, 1973 yep, Wicker Man. Uh, and so I was actually just caught were, up on the sort of major exactly the, the major hits of the folk horror 70s right. yes did uh, you see um, uh, uh, what's it Peter Watkins film Culloden did you see Culloden no I didn't see that one but I'm gonna check it out because I do I have liked every single one of the films that I've seen so far but what did happen with Satan's Claw was that I did appreciate a lot of the weirdness and I did appreciate uh, a lot of what it was going for especially liked uh, the ending but Having just finished Witchfinder General, which kind of ends uh, for me similarly, but even better with just sort of like blood on in in the uh, in a stairwell and just like uh-huh. these two people screaming, uh, basically <laughs> about how things you know they did they did sort of finish off the the dude who was abusing witchcraft uh, for his own means, uh, but the sort of the ongoing pain of what he caused is never going to leave any of these people. Um, and that I think I felt a lot more thoroughly. And I mean, the wicker man, of course, obviously, uh, is a little bit more psychological, um, um, or at well, least yeah, subjectively man, psychological. And it the wicker ends- man is like 80 minutes leading up to a, a 10 minutes. I mean, perfect ending. Yeah. A brutal ending. Uh, and I mean, yeah, I, I, I guess when I was watching Satan's Claw, I was just like, man, I, I, I see all of the potential here. And I was just hoping for, I guess, a little bit more uh, psychological out of it. And I was a little disheartened that sort of Satan just kind of gets finished and it's fixed. Although you are right that the um, the actual sort of lingering consequences are sort of um, left uh, vague. Uh, yeah, especially right. with the uh, the judge character who uh, he seems like a changed man. I'll say it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I really enjoyed it. Uh, but for I you, think, Scout. I think for, for, for me, I, I go full four because essentially mm-hmm. what you've got is it's a reverse Wicker Man. It's, <laughs> it's That's 70, actually kind of true. <laughs> it's, it's like an 80 minute perfect setup to a kind of okay ending versus Wicker Man, which is an 80-minute okay setup to a totally perfect ending. Yeah. Um, if you've never seen The Wicker Man, by the way, the I ending to The no. Wicker Man is unbelievable. you got to see The Wicker Man. I mean, watch the basically. <laughs> yeah. It's a really trippy, interesting movie regardless, but the... <laughs> 
<laughs> the again, I, both of those films are very, very invested. Uh, Witchfinder General and The Wicker Man isn't that is 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 neither of them nail down the supernatural element. They're more interested yes. in the psychological destruction of of people and society based on these kinds of myth and, and hysteria yes. and superstitions and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, the things that you that you choose not to believe because they seem sort of beneath you, which is very interesting. That the stuff that you and the sort of power it has allow, over yes, other exactly. people. You won't allow your subconscious <laughs> to deal with later comes back to bite you, which is a, a very interesting idea. Mm. But for you, Jamie? Uh, I'm going to also give it a three. Mm. It's a high three. Um, I just, I, I really don't know what it is. I think I, both these movies I was kind of comparing to a more modern film, uh, The uh. Witch. Uh, just oh, it has sure. That okay. Folklore, and it's you know, it's seventeenth century. They were filmed, kind of which was absolutely inspired by a lot of these. Oh, movies. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I can tell. Um, and I guess with with the witch, I just you get so so much visual stimulation when it comes to the mm-hmm. imagery of the devil and Satanism and and all that that kind of stuff. And and this movie does a lot of cool things. It just doesn't come. It doesn't hit me as hard. I guess it's it's mm-hmm. more of a subjective thing, really. Uh, but yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a, a three. And also, I just wanted to make a note. Uh, I really enjoyed the shot when the girl is walking through the uh, the forest alone, and then all of a sudden she's just surrounded by all the kids. It's oh, just yeah. the angle that he chose for mm-hmm. directing it. It just gave me this really creepy like feeling of if you know I were in the woods, and then all of a sudden you're just. 360, 360 degrees surrounded mm-hmm. by a bunch of Satanists. That, yeah, it was just oh, yeah. a very cool image. Um, yeah, Pierce, Haggard, play, yeah. Pierce Haggard, I think, he, he, he not, not for no reason did he not become sort of a famous filmmaker. I think the most high-profile thing he did afterwards was direct uh, Peter Sellers' last performance and take over from a movie that Toby Hooper walked off of. But I think Pierce oh, Haggard... Was, it, was, that, was that Venom? Because I've never seen that Venom. Venom. That's right, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I think that there is... Uh, there's something to P- Pierce Haggard's sort of um, uh, amateurness as a as a filmmaker. Amateurness is not a word. I do it all the time. No, but I, ex- I absolutely understand what you mean. That there there is sort of like a um, you the fact know. that he is sort of making up the rules as he goes. I think really works in his favor in some mm. cases, where the naivete that he presents a lot of what happens. I think does make things seem a lot spookier than mm. if they were kind of workshopped to death. It's the reason that a lot of Hammer Horror films from this period aren't as frightening as they should be, because they've too thoroughly studied the playbook right. by which horror movies are meant to behave. Uh, whereas this movie doesn't really follow anybody's rules. I mean, the language is different, and the direction is a little more heavy-handed. Pierce Haggard, I think, is probably imagining what horror movies are meant to do, but he doesn't really know, because... He hasn't directed before. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's definitely unlike. I don't think I've seen a movie like it. So in terms no, of like the, the, the overwhelmingly, the, 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 the impression is that yeah. whatever whatever its faults, this is a movie unlike any other movie, and I agree with that a hundred percent. Yeah, between yeah. B- between the structuring and the way that some of his set pieces work and stuff like that, I was just like, this is yeah. a this is a strange movie. Both and both of it. these films give me that vibe of I think I'd get more out of it if I watched it a second time as well, mm. and a third and a fourth. It just seems totally. like there's a lot of subtlety to them, and there might yeah. be some imagery. Maybe I even I missed. One, w- so. one, one little subtle shot that actually my girlfriend pointed out while I was watching it. She was like half watching it in the mm-hmm. in the corner while I was watching it. Uh, the one where the, there, there's a shot where the, the sort of like villager kid is freaking out about the hair that's uh, 
you know, growing on him. Mm-hmm. And framed in the background is like these sort of like boots that are uh, hanging off the roof. Uh, and mm. the first thing that she kind of spotted was she was like, is that is is that a hanging body? Because they are moving back and forth based like looking yeah. like. A, and I was like, I don't think so. I think that's just boots <laughs> but it, but when i when i sat there and watched the image it lingers on it for a long time and i was like wow that actually like very just much putting does, it into your brain kind it, of thing yeah it, and just, it's, it's yeah. sitting there it's very clearly intentionally put in frame and it's the only thing moving in frame that's not the the character yeah so it's very weird um but a neat little moment uh but anyway that, i think that's gonna be it for blood on satan's claw i think we'll just jump right into uh Captain Captain Cronus. Cronus. Cronus is how they say it in the movie, but but I think that Canadians say it Cronus. Yeah, that's just how it's spelt. So I I I I read it Captain Cronus when I first read it, but every time they pronounce it in the movie, they say Cronus. Oh okay. But either way, the dude's a vampire hunter. (laughs) Yeah, let's watch them. Let's talk about some hunting. Captain Cronus. To the death. You bleed, my lord. This is God's blade. Forged for your black heart. All right, we are back and we are talking Captain. Cronus or Kronos, whatever your pronunciation is, <laughs> yeah, whatever you uh, prefer. That's how vampire. The point hunter. is, he's the captain of vampire hunters. <laughs> he is. Right. He's the captain of the vampire hunters. Uh, it is a 1974 British horror film written and directed by Brian Clemens. This was the only movie he did, right? The only I film that I he looked, directed, but he wrote uh, a lot directed, of hammer. But he was he was a very prolific writer. Okay. Yes. Okay. Because yeah, I just looked him up and it was like it was the only film, and I was shocked because it's it's pretty well directed. I really enjoyed it. So yeah. So well, he, he, yeah, it, he it, was very very plugged into not only the zeitgeist of uh, uh, Hammer, but of you know sort of trends in television and things like that. I mean, he was oh, he man. was a he, writer. He wrote Highlander too. Yes, <laughs> that's true. He That's did. Hilarious. Well, he wrote. He wrote some of what Highlander 2 became. I don't know that he's <laughs> responsible for what actually happened. But he had been a writer since uh, uh, 1957. He wrote uh, screenplays for movies, and he wrote a lot of TV. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's coming into this a, a, a veteran screenplay writer. Indeed, indeed, um, yes. And Hammer kind of was like, just go nuts, man. Like you, you, <laughs> yeah, you, you, you've, made hit, you've made hit shows, clearly. Uh, do you want to give us a hit franchise? Basically, well, so so to put a little to put this into context, essentially, Hammer films going into the seventies were were sort of at odds. They they, they didn't really know how to uh, how to continue, how to how to press on. Because Hammer got started in the late fifties, right? Yeah, Hammer had been around for for a very long time. They've been around. They they, they, they kind of pick up steam in the late fifties and become because right. that, that would have been when they were updating like the big Universal monster pictures. That's exactly with sort right. Sort of yeah. like updated budgets and updated coloring and updated. That's right. Uh, gore so effects they, and camera movements and all this. They join the join the sort of uh, uh, ranks of studios to be reckoned with in the late fifties. They'd produced a handful of things beforehand, and later they'd buy the Carry On series, which is a very very popular. Not not Carry On. I'm sorry. Um, what is it on the buses? I think anyway. So they were they were a force in in the English film industry for a very long time, and then um, in the late fifties they they do a couple of things. They they 
partner with Val Guest and Nigel Neal to make the Quatermass films, um, which are a huge deal in England because Quatermass was a very popular character. And then they make um, the Quatermass Experiments and its sequel. Um, and uh, and then at the same time, they buy the rights to the old Universal movies, which Universal had turned away from their sort of cash cows because they'd stopped making money for them in the late 40s. Um, and had turned more or less into parody when Abbott and Costello kind of get thrown into the mix. So uh, Universal sells the rights to Dracula and Frankenstein for a song, and the revenue generated by Hammer Films, The Curse of Frankenstein and the Horror of Dracula, basically saves the studio from bankruptcy. Um, so they and it was Christopher a- Lee's Dracula, right? That's he did, correct. He did one yeah. or two Dracula films for Very them. Cool. Oh, he um, did several. He did something like seven. Um, oh, Jesus, oh, wow. I've 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 only seen two. So yeah, that's, <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. Well, that was yeah. He was he was the he was the first of he was uh, Frankenstein's monster to Peter Cushing's Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Jesus, listen to me. I sound like Hollywood Handbook. Um, <laughs> and then um, he's. And then he was Dracula to Peter Cushing's Van Helsing. Right. They, they, um, they sort of brought Lee in as the Boris Korloff. <laughs> that's right. He was their Boris Karloff, but he was also their Bela Lugosi because he was very charismatic. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a funny there's this funny story about they're making um, I want to say Taste the Blood of Dracula, one of one of the later uh, Hammer Dracula films in 1966. And there's a shot where he's being sort of impaled by a giant spike on the ice, and his blood is everywhere, and blah blah blah. And they were doing a a shareholders tour that day. So all these, you know, very uptight English men and women are being, you know, ferried around the Hammer Studios sets looking at everything. And they see Christopher Lee down getting stabbed to death by a stake for a, for a Dracula movie. And a woman, uh, sorry, a man turns to his wife and says, honey, that man's in my club. <laughs> <laughs> so these were these were like very respected people and incredibly well-respected actors who are doing these horrific parts because, you know, not everybody could be Laurence Olivier. And even if you were Laurence Olivier, you eventually wind up doing trash anyway because there just isn't that much work for dignified actors at a time when he is focused on, you know, horror and exploitation. So Hammer buys these universal titles and they buy themselves some respectability. And then... Yeah, they they sort of take those classic horror melodramas... And they, they they infuse them with uh, the updated exploitation. Uh. Right. They have a couple of things that um, that nobody else had, especially when the Universal films were new, that they could get away with. They could get away with a lot of cleavage, and they could get away with the color of blood. That basically Universal kind of bows out of horror right around the time of Creature from the Black Lagoon, which still warrants two sequels, but never really kicks up the following that Dracula and Frankenstein did. But they didn't have color. And Hammer has color. You can do this great, brilliant, bright orange blood, which they um, they pay tribute to in the movie Sleepy Hollow. Sleepy Hollow is one of the great Hammer film homages, um, not least because they get the color of the blood right, which is this grotesque sort of red, orange, the sickly, pale, perfectly English fake blood. Oh, yeah. Um, I love that, like, paint. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Very. Tom, Savini, Tom Savini would call it melted crayon later when he was doing the commentary for Dawn of the Dead because mm-hmm. for years the fake blood didn't look like blood but at the same time it kind of has a charm that you don't see in a lot of modern blood modern blood all looks the same it's that it's that too translucent deep red color yeah. which doesn't look like blood any more than the hammer blood looks like blood but anyway hammer going into the 70s has a couple of um uh, uh, hurdles they need to jump. First of all, nudity. Everybody wants naked women because cleavage doesn't do anymore. The first Hammer film to have nudity, I believe, is called Pendulum. It's made in 1971. Um, 
and they do the Hammer Lesbian Vampire Trilogy, which is terrific. You should all check those movies out. It's uh, um, The Vampire Lovers, Lust for a Vampire, and Twins of Evil. And then there's the, 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 the thirst for gore. People want more, you know, gore in their movies. And so, you know, Hammer in the 70s is a very interesting thing between what they did and what they're, they think they're supposed to do. And you do ne- get a weird cognitive dissonance, I think, watching something like Captain Cronus, where it, it goes from sort yeah. of like this gothic romanticism very yes. quickly into like blood splattering walls. Yes. Uh, and, yeah. I, and I was kind of like, honestly... I was there for it. Uh, I was I was very enthralled by that sort of uh, kind of clashing uh, things in my mind, things that didn't belong together. But then I was like, wow, this feels very correct. Actually, watching yeah, it, yeah, it never, it yeah. still feels very cohesive. It doesn't feel like it's out of place. It just you do notice things, but it's never yeah. like, oh, that doesn't serve this world or the story. Itself. Well, that's just it. Is I, I was watching a thing and I was like, okay, so it's it's a little bit kind of like a Dracula style thing, and then there's a dude with a katana like chopping people <laughs> yeah, up, and I was, was like, oh. When I, when well, I noticed it was a katana, like it's, it's, oh my god! It's before Amazing. Tarantino. It's that genre mashup thing. Exactly. People, yeah. You know, they tried this again, by the way, when they made Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires, is they understood that foreign cinema had made inroads in both England and America, so they thought by fusing sort of Wuxia or the Shanbara uh, films with their stuff that they could kind of pick up two different audiences at the same time, not realizing that you had to actually come up with an organic reason for there to be the genre blending. And Tarantino never learned that lesson either, by the way. He just sort of like threw all that shit into a blender and hoped that it worked. Um, <laughs> And that was very much the ethos here, where they're basically, they're so thirsty for ideas that they think will work, because Hammer, by 1974 especially, are hanging on by a thread. They have no idea what people want anymore. I mean, especially in England. I mean, if you look at all the films released in England in, like, between 71 and 75, there's no there's no common thread to any of this, other than a, a vague trend towards postmodernism. But even that is sort of uh, cagey as, an, as a guiding ethos. There's no, they were throwing shit at the wall. Exactly. That's exactly right. <laughs> and, and yeah, the death of Hammer proves that there was nothing that you could reliably spend money on in 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 the seventies in England and have it pay uh, box office dividends. It was all everybody was sort of. Well, I'm uh, curious how people would have reacted to Captain Captain Cronus because it Cronus, takes a, Captain Cronus didn't make money. No. I could see. No, well, I mean, obviously, money. obviously, they would have made sequels out of it if it did. Yeah, that's wish. exactly yeah. right. Because it was meant to be. They approached Brian Clemens, who had given British TV some of its most enduring characters and ideas and 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 shows, and said, "Please save us." And he came up with Captain Kronos, which on paper seems kind of foolproof. You got the samurai thing and the vampire thing, and the you got Carolyn Monroe, gorgeous Carolyn Monroe, as your sort of you know, girlfriend character, and he's going to just, you know, attack vampires, new yeah, vampires. And, and, and who, do, who doesn't love, like, a detective mystery-style story? So you got exactly. all these yeah, things. Yeah. Like, <laughs> a little bit of Sherlock Holmes and a little bit of uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame. There's everything in this, and they didn't like it. People didn't come out for Captain Kronos. It was the reason there was only one. And the Hammer Studios, as we understand it, didn't last more than another two years. By 1976, they were essentially shuttered. Um, they still did a handful of things. They produced a really excellent remake of The Lady Vanishes in 1979 with Elliot Gould and Sybil Shepard, and they later financed the TV Hammer House of Horrors in the 80s. But by then, I mean, they were they were a novelty more than they were an actual force in the, uh, in the English uh, uh, cinematic marketplace. So Captain Kronos didn't 
didn't uh, perform the way they were expecting it to, which is a no. Shame. Well, and it, and it's it's clear watching it because we were. I was obviously starting it basically right after watching Blood on Satan's Claw, and I was watching right. it, and I was like, "Wow, talk about a budget!" Because Captain Kronos looks great. Yeah, uh, and yeah. It, it, I looked it up. Yep. They got basically double the budget to do that. And I mean, Hammer okay. in general would have had higher budgets than something they would have been giving Piers Haggard in general. But at the same time, you're watching what sort of Clemens is doing, even with that yep. budget. And you know, the the it's it's a lot more formally sophisticated. Um, it it opens immediately with like images that I would I would border on saying are lyrical when I was watching yes. some of them. Like blood on there's there's the quick sequence where there's the girl sort of smiling in the mirror, and then there's a cloaked figure in the mirror, and then it kind of goes out of focus and then blood is dripping on the mirror mm-hmm. and it's piecing together a cloaked figure killing a girl but that's a really sort of visually ambitious way to actually capture that yeah. uh, which e- immediately distinguished it for me from um, having watched Blood on Satan's Claw which maybe isn't necessarily the most fair comparison but as we were going well, no, but from- you're not wrong though that there's there's a there's an assuredness I mean you've got that beautiful Laurie Johnson theme which has mm. such driving sort of purpose whereas Blood on Satan's Claw I think is much more an atmospheric piece uh, Captain Kronos announces itself in a very ambitious way, like you're saying, by having a, a couple of different strands up in the air at the same time. You've got the vampire turning young virginal women into old women via his, you know, blood sucking, and you've got Captain Kronos and Gross sort of appearing in their horse and carriage. Um, it's you know, they're, they're, it's a lot to throw at an audience right away. Well, they, and and I thought that that was kind of interesting, and I could see sort of like modern audiences if they were to do something like this, I could see them going, "Well, those aren't real vampires because right. they just exactly. they just drain yeah. the life out of out of things." <laughs> yeah, and they were right. like, yeah. and 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 that, that's <laughs> and what that's what's sort of interesting that Cronus kind of sets up is that there are all kinds of different creatures and vampires and different species of them that we can, you know, hopefully sequels will yeah. show you all of them. And we started with I think this I one. Read that that was the, the whole idea. There were yeah. going to be like a variety of vampires that had different powers, different looks, different everything. Exactly. So. And, and, and with, with this one, they kind of opened on the sort of, uh, the, the very classical draining of youth kind of, yeah, uh, which I imagery love too, and the, that and they actually, for the, the most big part, old mansion like on the hill get, and like, yeah. And it's for the, <laughs> most part it seems like they get older women to to mm-hmm. play the the older mm-hmm. version and it just gives this very real feel to mm-hmm. to instead of just like putting on a shitload of makeup on them or something oh, like yeah. that i just i actually really enjoyed the fact that they chose like 80 year old women to yeah to pop up well it was it was it gross. was yeah it was a way around the sort of practical effects that, or yeah. rather uh, you know that was it made more sense to do that yeah, there's very I smart know. yeah yeah there was, you know, show people everything. That was sort of a hammer ethos. I mean, it was, you know, when they when they did Twins of Evil, they got actual Playboy, Playboy centerfold twins. <laughs> That's incredible. Like, you know, they really they 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 I have to watch that one. You paid for that was that was the hammer ethos. Is give them their money's worth. Well, you know, you've got what's the so- blood and the heaving <laughs> cleavage and and the the bodice is ripping and all this. You know, it's very. It's very, it's all right there. It's very yeah, present. And, and, and honestly, seeing them kind of just throw everything into this and seeing them obviously try to appeal to everyone's lizard brain side, as you've said so yeah. far, and at the same time trying so many different kind of genre dynamics, the fact that this works 
actually kind of blows my mind as I was watching it. Yeah. Because there's ev- oh, yeah. every single, you know, this scene, there's something, silly, there's something that threatens to break it. And for some reason, it entirely holds together for me and I'm watching it and I was getting swept up. There's, there's really <laughs> creepy images of, um, I'm thinking, uh, very early on, there's one where a, a girl enters a church and there's yes. this big shadow of a cross basically framed up against uh, the wall. And as mm. she's walking in, the cross starts to move. It starts to like bend downward. Uh, right. And then immediately it cuts to a thing of wine being knocked over onto a table and a girl screaming. And again, yeah. it's just, it's a very um, uh, formally interesting and uh, psychological way to capture the idea that there's a freaking life draining vampire going around killing people Um, and I was just honestly I was very impressed by this thing both both by Clemens' directing for a first time director and I guess an only time director Uh, I honestly kind of wished that he made more movies because I was like obviously this this has the hammer um, you know um, the the budgets and the sets and the costumes that Hammer would have pulled but there is something uh, that does feel uniquely Clemens in both the writing and directing here yeah <laughs> the, well that's the the, the the sort of iconography that he comes up with here is very very specific to the kind of thing that he was very good at doing which is this sort of serialized very very instantly recognizable uh, good v evil struggle I mean he was he was just good at this stuff it was he'd done it for years he was he understood it he knew exactly what he was doing it's just essentially that he was telling a story that was maybe 10 years past its freshness date vis-a-vis the approval of british audiences his sons are on twitter they're twitter friends of mine <laughs> and uh, we talk about captain corona sometimes and i just i just think it's a fucking brilliant idea and i really wish that he had been given a chance to to kind of see it through because he knew exactly the elements with which he was playing. I mean, he, he, he got it. He really did well, understand. Yeah. It. And well, and, and not only that, he's, he's also playing around hugely in yes, ways yes. that I think that a lot of people <laughs> could take lessons from. Cause cause even, even, even when he, of, yeah. of hammer handing him all this money was, I mean, that's not, that's not incorrect that they came to him and said, do what you're going to do. They said that because they trusted him because everybody yeah. in Britain trusted Brian Clemens. I Blows mean, my mind that this didn't work. The most bona fide like hits, level. Yeah. You know, like how did nobody so, come out to see this? Like that just kind of yeah, like nuts. blows. And my I love that it even mixes comedy. Like they have that, that <laughs> great scene where, uh, I think it, they're the, the girl and, and Kronos are introduced and she's like, uh, like I'll have you or whatever. And he's like, Oh, I'll have you. And then yeah. it like zooms into his will face. Will you have and all me that. or whatever? Yeah. Will you have me? <laughs> yeah. Cause it's just like, will you have me over for, I don't know, dinner or something like yeah. that. And then he's like, right. Oh, I'll have you. And it like oh, zooms in and everything. Well, and and one great. of my, one of my favorite bits that he shoots is the actual love scene itself, which is mm. where sort of, you know, they, they got, they got the bodice going. She's, she's, she's stripping. It's, it's very lusciously lit with all of right. these deep shadows on it and she's walking forward and he does a split diopter shot of like his cigarello or whatever that he has as she's like (laughs) strutting forward yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) it's like oh Kronos is smoking that blunt and then and then he he switches to matching zoom cuts on their faces where it's zooming in on her face then his face then her lips and his lips with this like really sort of like lusciously lit shadows and stuff and I was like and I was like I don't know on if any way if that relationship worked for me in writing, but the filmmaking yeah. sold me on it. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's exactly it. It's like the imagery just kind of showed, like the direction uh, sold you on it. Because you're right, it, it doesn't really get too deep themselves, like as characters. They don't really 
communicate a lot in the sense where you would think that no, they it, fell it, in it, love. No, it seems like anything. he's trying to fit a lot into a small amount of time. Yeah, very um, much. Well, the hammer, the hammer thing was they wouldn't let you make a movie longer than like ninety six minutes. That yeah. was like he had a lot of constraints in in theory, which was you had to do mm. all this at the normal because again they were they were they were making uh, movies for like your podcast a two picture format. You couldn't keep people at their cars longer than <laughs> 95 minutes because there was another movie that had to be shown a lot of the time. Yeah. I mean, Hammer was famous for that. There was there were talk of they would make movies with the same ending and then send them out on different bills so that you wouldn't know you were being shown the same movie. But once, <laughs> once or twice they accidentally sent like Rasputin the Mad Monk and Taste the Blood of Dracula out on the same uh, bill by accident and they had the same ending and people were furious. <laughs> 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 oh, which is Christopher funny. Lee being killed on an ice flow. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's very much, you know, that's that great. was the, that was exactly I mean Carolyn Monroe, I, I mean Carolyn Monroe, Carolyn Monroe, she was a Bond girl twice over. She's in The Golden Voyage of No Surprise. Bad. She's in a number of Hammer horrors. Um still Gorgeous. working yeah. by the way, Carolyn Monroe. She was in Maniac and Star Crash, The Absolute Legend, Carolyn Monroe still making movies to this day. That's amazing. Um so if people if people weren't willing to show up for a vampire movie starring Carolyn Monroe, it was there was something more wrong with the formula than simply that it you know that that I don't know there was something uh, deeply wrong at the heart of the British movie going public that they were just vampired out they couldn't <laughs> yeah. again because there's nothing there's nothing inherently wrong with Captain Kronos I think that Captain Kronos Captain Kronos is a great idea with a great you know, cast and budget and production. I think it's beautiful and interesting and exciting. Oh, and I, lo- I love that interaction at the bar that he has with the yes, uh, the, yes. the other dudes who are just awful. Because the the dude gets introduced, oh, yeah. lighting a match on the wall. He abuses like the prostitute yep. that he just had for the night, uh, yep. and then he starts like pulling a sword on just like a, a patron who's unhappy with how he treated the prostitute. <laughs> and which yep, anyone like, the, that's yeah, decent would. This dude's just going <laughs> yep. off. Uh, yeah. and Cronus comes in and, uh, Cronus is like completely willing to just like, kind of like, you know, he's like, all right, let's chill out. Don't be an asshole. And then the dude insults his hunchback friend. Yeah. Uh, and then he murders him. Yeah. He murders him and his <laughs> friend swipes. Yeah. And he's just like swish, swish. And it's cut to the sword going cut to the wall being sprayed with splayed with uh, blood, blood yeah. and then cut to the sword again. And then it's just back and all the guys just kind of like follow. I her. love Yeah. And I love the direction of two fall at the same time. And then yeah. the one guy's just like, uh. am I, Cut? Did I get hit? I, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Falling over, hitting That's the table. Great. Yeah, there's think, there's uh, a really good timing to it in everything. Yeah. Do you think that just speaking on the fact that people didn't really come to this one, uh, maybe because they were sick of vampire movies, it, do you think it was just a matter of they saw that it was a vampire movie and they went, no? Because <laughs> I feel like if they saw it, they'd realize that they actually revamped the vampire a little bit, like well, making I them old instead that. of just another vampire and so forth. The thing, the thing also is that there, uh, word of mouth was was different, and I think mm. that Captain Kronos probably skewed uh, in its word of mouth younger. That it's a guy with a sword fighting vampires. I mean, you know, by the seventies, you think about what was going on in English cinema at that point. You had Mike Hodges making Get Carter, and you, you know, there was this turn dark as there was we gotta in America. talk about that on the show by the way that's the that's the michael kane one right get carter that's correct yeah, yeah. that's right oh, okay you know and there was i don't know there were there were 
there were suddenly 10,000 things you could do that you couldn't have done a decade ago because the, the sensors had relaxed or vanished in some cases. And so suddenly you've got films that are dealing with addiction and sex work. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I just don't think that something as inherently sort of pulpy as mm. Captain Kronos in 1974. But dealing been, with like adult themes and very clearly targeting exactly adults instead of yeah. kids. I got yeah, you. I feel you. That makes sense it was, to me. It was, it was very much, it was a movie for preteens at that point. That was how yeah. it should have marketed. But I think that Hammer... Hammer didn't update their marketing strategy. They still thought they were talking to everybody as opposed to just a handful of people. I could definitely see like middle-aged people being like a swashbuckling detective. It's Sherlock Holmes with a sword. I think that that would <laughs> appeal to a handful of people at that point. I mean, you know, by then, uh, this is very, okay. They were so like, we got people like Scorsese making movies right now. Like, are you going to try and get me with a swashbuckling? Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go see Taxi Driver. Yeah. <laughs> So, like, you know, that like the, the, the Stephen Frears film, A Very English Scandal, that just came out, right? Mm-hmm. That kind of thing with um, sexuality being on the front page of every newspaper, I think, really did change the British audience's perception of fiction, that it had this kind of evolve. I mean, you've got people like Basil Bearden who made issue movies in the 60s, so that by the time people are looking f- to take their mind off of the craziness of the world, I think they needed something a little more sophisticated, at least on paper, <laughs> than what Captain Kronos is. Captain Kronos is not a sophisticated idea. It's a guy with a sword fighting vampires. It's not, <laughs> it does feel very, like, comic book. not, you know. It yeah. does. It, well, it, it, yeah. it feels like... Even for, the tone. For me, it felt like just a very pulpy vampire novel, which, uh, yeah, yeah. honestly, yeah, was, I, I really loved that about it, and I wished... And mm. sitting there watching it, I was like, man, they didn't make sequels to this? Like, I was sitting there actually being like... Tell me about it. I, I, yeah. I, I, I would love nothing more. Like if somebody, if, if a fucking genie dropped 10 grand on my stoop, <laughs> I would make, make a Captain Kronos I would sequel. make a Captain Kronos sequel. It's been my <laughs> lifelong dream to make a Captain Kronos sequel because I just, I think the idea is so wonderful. And I think you can, if you handed that idea to 10 directors, they'd make a different but equally great movie. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I, I I like the one that that uh, Clemens works here with the giant sort of like castle on the hill and the yep. the, the sort yep. of the, the yeah, the, it's this great classicist idea. It's you've got mm-hmm. these these inbred siblings, you know, who and you think who, it's them the entire movie because they're so young and they're very pretty yeah. and they're yeah. they're very suspicious. She, Shane Bryant, Shane Bryant, <laughs> the prettiest actor Hammer ever worked with. Yep, that was. Hammer, Hammer tried and they so seem hard. Very Hammer vain. Everything, <laughs> and they 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 tried to make Shane Bryant a star. They tried to make um, what's his name, Ralph Bates, a star. Ralph Bates, one of the most ugly men in the British <laughs> cinema canon. Um, they they tried everything to like hang on. They really thought that it was first of all. Hammer, Hammer never understood what they had in their in their female sidekicks. They always tried to make the movies based on on men because. Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing were their cash cows for so many years, and they never got around to the idea. Well, that I will say that I think Carolyn Monroe holds risky. herself a little better here than Horst Jansen. Yes, uh, I agree. Uh, who is I Captain Cronus? Who I who I do think he's got the look. I don't know about he the. Doesn't uh, have, well, he doesn't have the acting chops. No, that's for no, sure. no. And but he does have a it, charm to him a little bit. It did Maybe work it's because for me. it works for the, the pulpiness affected, of this film. But he's not. He's not. He's not charismatic. I don't know. There's something missing sure. for sure. 
Yeah. Because it, it, it did work for me watching the movie. I got a lot of kick out of him, uh, but I definitely... Yeah, he still gave me a charm, but I agree that he's not the most technically proficient. And, to, and I mean, yeah. it, I guess just in comparison to her, it's like she's like lightning on screen when oh, you're watching for sure, her. Oh, for sure. And I was like, damn, even l- with let her, her role, kill a vampire. Because she doesn't have a huge yeah. <laughs> like role, really. Yeah. No. In the sense I mean, of like, you know, cool, like, he gets to be outlandish and, and whatever, but she still comes off as the more uh, mm-hmm. skilled. He, he gets all the great outfits. He gets like two different kinds of swords. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and when, they, when, they, when they get to the big castle finale, like all of the characters are kind of like frozen, like statues, and he's just yeah. like walking around through them with his yeah. big sword, right. fighting a looks, fighting a the dead old vampire. <laughs> he's just as immobile as everybody frozen by the spell. Oh yeah, <laughs> his facial muscles do not move in this movie. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's for damn sure. Uh, but there's a lot of great sets and stuff here, like the hillside cemetery. Yeah, uh, totally. which which looks awesome. Is- I think oh. that the fight choreography maybe could have been a gotten a little bit of uh push there yeah i do i will say though the, that the, I, the I was fight surprised. in the castle is good oh, okay wait so what fight were you talking about? the one on the hillside um, oh is that where, where he's, he's fighting, fighting like, all the guys people. right all the right because um, yeah. i agree with you there because the, the one at the end where it's more of a power dynamic thing than it is an actual sword fight and it's more of like a uh you know they're the he, he kind of sees the people who are frozen around him and he's trying to like mobilize them basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> he's trying to awaken them. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, he kind of like finishes off the, cause like, cause the, the main detective mystery, I guess ends with the idea that it's not the rich kids. It's the rich parents who everyone thought was dead or old or yeah. dying. Basically they've actually been wearing little like, masks uh yeah. to look old and actually draining the life out of everyone to live forever and even their kids are a little shocked about it mm-hmm. and um, you get like a good 10 minute action sequence you get a good basically. 10 minute action sequence inside the castle that they've kind of previously set up visually and you which have which is very good i was surprised I, <laughs> it's I, a good sequence I yeah, a, yeah I, I was i was just because the movie's very uh subtle with all it's like fighting and violence mm-hmm. uh, i wasn't expecting such a big finale it's very clear that they saved budget for that sequence especially <laughs> oh, especially, oh, yeah. especially totally. when he, he puts the sword through the dad that and was the, yep. sweet and the dad's walking towards him just with a sword inside of him and yeah. through his stomach and yeah, then he great. like slits his throat and then the mom is like crying blood and they both kind of like collapse into like a pile of skeletons that are like yeah. embracing each other and i'm blood. like this imagery <laughs> is amazing yeah yeah, uh, yeah. well that was exactly the thing is that on paper this movie should have been a huge goddamn success it was yeah. everything that people wanted you had something for everybody yeah, it yeah was, for it, sure it's, it's awesome and there's tons of little uh details one of my favorite ones uh is is one where cronus uh who's you know constantly walking in on dead bodies that he's trying to like save yeah uh, lots of people die he's not the best lifesaver he does solve the mystery though so that's good but he <laughs> yeah. doesn't he doesn't save a lot of Let's people a on lot his of way lives there. go in the process um, but there's there's one he's bit a, he's where he's a better this, detective than he is an angel of mercy. Because <laughs> there, there's lots of shots of like blood kind of like dripping on things and sliding down things. There's one earlier yep. where the giant church bell has like blood all over it. Mm-hmm. But there's one oh, yeah. where blood gets on a lamp and it starts like pouring down the the lamp. And as Cronus enters to go find out what what happened to this person, the entire room is lit purple. And that's because mm-hmm. the lamp having the blood around it is actually being lit by the blood, which yeah, is just like. Cool. 
There's, That's very awesome. You know, and I'm like, come well on, man. Yeah. Like, who, like, to to have that sort of attention, and again, the kind of feeling that that lighting gives you in that particular scene where Cronus, even though, you know, we've talked about not necessarily the most uh, evocative, emotional performer, he comes yeah. in, and the, the lighting does it for him. He's fucking sad. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> I feel like the, the direction and, the, and just everything surrounding him mm. makes him decent. Makes him, well, at yeah, least, it, it, at makes, least it, makes, it makes everybody look good, which yeah. honestly is kind of like what the goal should be as a collaborative form for film. Oh, for you sure. should be trying yeah. to make everybody look great. Even if they're not quite technically there. Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, I was honestly kind of blown away by this movie. So thanks for bringing it. Uh, I think we're going to have to enter the reductive rating round on this one and we'll let you get in a couple more points as we do that. Uh, <laughs> but for me, Captain Cronus was honestly a pretty easy four. Uh, yeah. I honestly, I, I, I really, Loved it. I was watching it, and I was like, this is an amazing premise. There's a lot of great uh, genre mashing happening here. Um, it's very um, stylishly and 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 formally done. Um, I think that Clemens, uh, for a first-time director, shows real chops as a director. And I mean, the fact that he was uh, a writer shows that he had a, attention to film and character before anyway. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I was pretty just, you know, it's a, it was a, a vampire movie with a katana and some swashbuckling and some <laughs> d- detective stories uh, and, and, and some amazing uh, imagery. And yeah, I loved it. Awesome. I, I also give it I, at least a four, maybe a high three, four. Let me ask you guys this before we take our leave of the subject. Mm-hmm. If we're making Captain Kronos today, who would y'all cast as Captain Kronos? Chris Hemsworth. Oh, nice. <laughs> that's a good answer. Didn't even have to think about it. That's a good answer. <laughs> that's a great one. That's a great answer. Because I kind of feel that, like, because he was in that movie, and I wasn't a huge fan of it, The that, like, Wild, The Hunter, whatever. It was like a Snow White thing or something. Oh, Snow White oh, and the White. Huntsman yeah, or whatever. And I feel yeah. like if you just took him doing that and put him into Captain Crows, it'd be dope as hell. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, he he look, he looks like he would look good in a period piece, and if, he, For and, sure. and, and if you put that sort Absolutely. of, like, that sort of... Uh, puffy collared shirt but with like the 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 chest open uh-huh. and stuff oh, yeah. like that you know i have also uh, nick cage <laughs> <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> but that's I'll just for me that. that's just because i want to see that really badly <laughs> I, you I'm fucking huge nick, nick cage fan. just captain chronos oh my god it'd be a totally different film but yeah. it'd be but it great would be. For me. this needs to get made <laughs> yep. scout we're we're counting on you here. <laughs> yeah i i either I, one I of those guys will be great so i can do that i mean i would love to do I would do like two Captain Kronos a year with a different actor in the lead role every time just to, <laughs> yes. just to have fun with it. I think that would be, be awesome. awesome. And you don't even like, you don't even acknowledge that it's maybe in a different universe. It's just every single time Kronos <laughs> oh, yeah. is different and it moves on from there. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. Great, that's great. Oh man. All right. So you said uh four. Yeah. You said yeah. four. Cool. All right. Uh, you know what? When I first watched it, I, I did give it the three. Mm-hmm. It was, it was higher than, um, Satan's Claw. Uh, Claw. Uh, This one just, it stuck with me a little more. I really enjoyed the comedy thrown in there, but then it had some, some, like you said, some great imagery that was well-directed and thought out. Yeah, we didn't even get to talk about the scene where they're testing how to kill this particular vampire, because I think you wanted to mention that before. Oh, yes. Yeah, I can do that now. Um, It's got that great shot where it's just showing... Uh, they tie him to a chair and they're hanging him to see if they can yeah, hang him right, to kill that's him. Right. And they just zoom out of the window and you just see the the shadow come up and mm-hmm. it, it almost gives a more violent feel to it. Yeah. Uh, and it, I loved that shot. Again, it, it is sort of like an Im- imaginative imagery that really like yeah. carries you with it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think I'm going to 
end up giving it the four. Nice. Um, I got to change that on Letterboxd, I guess. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) I think after this conversation, I just I feel like I'm getting more out of the film now, and Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I'm I'm gonna give it a four. It's so rich. I don't know. There's there's yeah. There's there's just so much to it. Yeah. It's just so interesting because I don't think that just a film... Just as you're watching it, I was a little like, what am I fucking watching? Holy shit. Yeah, because... So it cause, threw me off a bit, but now I'm like, I'm focused and I'm... There's I'm so digging. much squished in to it and the fact that it, again, that he, he just manages to get all these really great visual touches and he does like time stopping and like zooming into yep. cloaks and like yeah. just all kinds of craziness that he manages to fit it's a, here. it's a very dynamic movie and i and think it's 90 probably, minutes what the hell it's 90 minutes i mean it's it's <laughs> in and done like that and movies. i think that <laughs> as with so many of these things it, it, uh, the initial burn kind of scared them off of ever trying again which is a mm. shame because there was there's clearly so much there but yeah, no, I mean, that happens all the time is that, you know, somebody who, who is adjacent to the film industry tries their hand at directing for the first time. It happened with Albert Finney. It happened with, uh, oh gosh, I just, there's a, you know, a zillion examples of this, of people who really pour all their energy into a movie and people don't take to it and that's it. That's all they need to sort of stay away it's from really it. It's really sad. Just, have you made an unloved about Captain Cronus? I have not made Unloved about Captain Kronos. I've been I've been flirting with the idea of doing a video essay series on all of the weird Hammer movies I love because um, there are so many of them. Um, it was the reason that I had to do Danger Mouse for all the weirdo Disney movies because if I let Disney into the Unloved pool anymore, I would just do all Disney. Yeah. Um, so I think I'm going to probably wind up doing something about the Hammer movies I really enjoy because there's so many of them. I mean, these are the damned. And uh, that was the great Joseph Losey's sort of atomic uh, horror movie. And uh, Frankenstein Must Be Destroyed is a great one. Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell, Demons of the Mind. There, there are more great unsung Hammer films than I can count on one hand. So I'd love a chance to talk about any of them. Nice. So thank you guys for giving me the opportunity to scream about. Oh, <laughs> no, thank thank, oh, thank you course. for bringing them on. I, I guess that'll, that'll wrap it up for yeah. this week's show that was the blood on satan's claw and captain cronus scout thanks so much for coming on and bringing these two films uh i really enjoyed both of them uh scout this is the part of the show where if you've got anything to plug now's the time to do it i think we already plugged it a couple times but scout's unloved series yeah Um, okay so uh, every month on the first of the month or thereabouts depending on scheduling i do the uh the unloved on rogerebert.com which is you know movies that were supposed to be big but weren't um, I, uh, I have a Patreon, patreon.com slash honors zombie. That's, you can find me on Twitter on honors underscore zombie. Um, and on honors zombie, I do a bunch of, uh, video essay series. Um, I do danger mouse about weirdo Disney movies. I do dad rock about nineties action movies. I do uh, murderers row about character actors. There's a million ideas that I'm really happy to finally get a chance to do. Um, you can find a couple of my movies on Amazon prime house, of little deaths, your silent face, Diana, and, um, uh, enjoy your trip to hell. If you are interested in weirdo genre films, definitely check those out mm. for cool. you, for you, Jamie, he actually recently did an unloved on silent hill. Oh, that's yeah, that. I, I would love to listen to that. I'd, I'd definitely oh, you got to gotta check it out, man. Tell me yeah, what you think. Yeah, I feel like that is an <laughs> underrated movie. That's cool. Yeah, I'll definitely check that out. I love Silent Hill. I watched it again, you know, in preparation for the essay and just fell in love with it all over again. I yeah. think Silent The imagery in that movie is unbelievable. And I love that they I, stay I, true I, to I the game. I need to watch it. I, I think I watched it once when I was in, like, the ninth grade, and I don't think I've yeah, seen it's, it's, since. It's, so. it's much better than You gotta than check it out again, say, man. It's I really think. good. Yeah. Gotta do it. It's a decent video game movie for once. There you go. 
Uh, that and Tomb Raider are the only good video game movies. I think it was basically... Oh, you like the one with uh, with Angelina Jolie? No. <laughs> Is he talking about the new one, maybe? Oh, you like the new one? Yeah, I love the new one. Oh, okay. Oh, we love the new one. Well, okay. damn, I'm going to have to watch it, because uh, I've heard I've heard mixed things. I've heard back and forth. Um, but I'm a big fan of the game, the, the one that it's based on. And uh, so, yeah, I'd, I'm going to have to give it a go. If you gave if you gave Jean Roland twenty million dollars in a Hollywood effects crew, I think he would have made something very similar to the Silent Hill movie we have. Oh, okay, um, cool. I think you guys are going to run into Jean Roland quite a bit doing this podcast because he made some of the most famous kind of sleaze movies ever. He made Shiver of the Vampire and Fascination and Demoniacs and Grapes of Death. The guy was. We're definitely going to mention him a couple times. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, look out for him. All right. But, well, thanks for coming on and bringing all this info with you. Yeah, uh, man. This is awesome. We're going to wrap it up for this week, but uh, next week for patrons, yeah. we're going to be talking uh, Abel Ferreira's Miss 45. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to be pairing it yeah. with, with uh, Street Trash. Oh, man. This was, uh, this was a request Such episode by one of our movie. patrons, Steve Carlson, who initially wanted, I, th- I think, to be the driller killer and uh, Street Trash. But he also put in brackets Miss 45. And it just so happened we've already talked about Driller Killer in conjunction with Taxi Driver. Yeah. It's really interesting because I think between all these films, if we would have, if we could repair having watched them all, I would have put Driller Killer and Street Trash together and I would have put Taxi Driver and Miss 45 100%. Together. <laughs> 100%. What are you going to do? But either way, next week, we're going to be talking Miss 45 and we're going to be talking Street Trash. And then two weeks from now, we're going to have a special guest on uh, and he is going to be bringing with him yeah, I forgot uh, which one. <laughs> uh, uh, 1977, I think. House? House? Oh, the, uh, oh, is yeah, it Japanese? Or yeah, the, one of the uh, more... Yes, yeah, I've heard nothing more of the but, acclaimed like, J-horror films. Things. So we're going to be talking about yeah. House, and we're going to be pairing it with David Lynch's Eraserhead. What a fucking... Uh, I'm, I'm excited for that double feature. Yeah, I, I recently I picked up both one. the Criterions and the Criterion cell for them, and the guests picked them, and I was like, look, I'm not going to complain. <laughs> yeah, both, yeah. I got them. So. Those are, that's sweet. Uh, so that's on. what we're going to be talking about uh, in two weeks' time for you guys, free listeners. Um, but I think that's going to be it for this week. Uh, so thanks everyone for listening. As always, if you're listening on iTunes, go go rate us and stuff. Uh, if, if, if you want all those patron episodes, go on over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. And, and that's basically it. Other than that, just keep it sleazy. Keep it sleazy. <laughs> <laughs>